All right, all right. I put shoes on and put stuff in my hair, so I think we're cock-locked and ready to rock, right? <laughs> so um, I wanted to give you a little, a little background about, um, about what we're going to be doing in Paraguay and why we moved from Albuquerque to Hawaii to South America. But before I do, I have some special guests. This is Cindy, Grant, and Betty. Can you guys wave? So when I was like, 13 years old, I started getting involved in doing drugs and partying and trying to become a Satanist and um, hating life, wanting to kill myself. And uh, Cindy says, this kid needs Jesus. And so she sent me to church camp up in the mountains, Lone Tree Bible Ranch. And um, it's the first time I really heard the story about Jesus and Jesus changed my life. And um, Grand Grand bought me my first Bible. And, uh, you know, Grand is one of my heroes she, um, she was in her 80s in Roswell, and there was one really dangerous neighborhood in Roswell, and she said, they need Jesus. And so her and her old friend went door-to-door in the rough neighborhood telling people about Jesus and praying for people. And um, so, man, I have so much to owe to them. They, uh, excuse me. So I really appreciate you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. So, um, so yeah, Paraguay, so God called us for about 10 years. I was traveling the world, doing stadium events all over the world, um, preaching to thousands, and, and, and God called me to go to Hawaii and plant a church and work with the homeless. So for the last uh, 10 years, basically, we've been in Hawaii working with the, the, the homeless in Waikiki. Um, uh, myself and my best friend, we were doing these extreme evangelism schools in Brazil, and uh, stream evangelism school is two weeks of training, and uh, first day of the training, we uh, our, our students come in and we say, "Hey, you have to go to the streets. You have to have a miracle, and you have to have a video of it on your phone, or you can't come back." And um, and it, we, I don't care if it takes you until three in the morning. That's the longest it took from like about nine a.m. till about three a.m. One kid, it took him that long to get a miracle, but a um, hundred percent of them will see God do something that day, and. Um, so we were, we were doing these things in Brazil, and then uh, this guy in Paraguay said, why don't you come do a school in Paraguay? And our very first training that we did in Paraguay, Paraguay we had this, this old farmer, his name is Jose, and um, he'd been saved for about a month, came to do the school on our outreach. We went to this town that was like one of those places that they say, oh, uh, don't go there, you know, like that's, that's not a good place to go. So we went there, and um, on the outreach, uh, Jose goes, comes up to us and says, hey, man, it's so easy to lead people to Jesus. We say, yeah, Jose, it is. He says, I'm going to go lead my whole city to Jesus. We say, yeah, you need to go do that. And so his first night back, he uh, finished working on the farm, finished milking his cow, went and led his next door neighbor to Jesus. The next night after that, he went to his other neighbor, led that neighbor to Jesus. His church, his church was about 15 people. And in, in, about, in about three months, Jose brought over 100 people into the church. And um, the pastor of the church goes, um, uh, I don't know what you guys did to Jose, but we need it. <laughs> so the, uh, the next year we went to, uh, we did our school at that church. The pastor did the ministry school and, and Jose's first neighbor went back to that like dangerous city. He moved there and he did the same exact thing Jose did in their city in that, in that town up there. And we're seeing just transformation happening in the town. But anyways, it broke, up, uh, it broke open something in Paraguay where, I mean, we got business guys. There's a business guy who's got about like 
equivalent of like 150 Walmarts. It's kind of like an appliance kind of store. And he realized, you know what, pastors, pastors need, need, uh, need jobs. And um, so he hired a, a chaplain over every single one of his businesses. And they're over the spiritual life. They do weddings, funerals, counseling, all that stuff. So every single business has a pastor over it. And so just last year, they said, you know what, we need to do, um, we need to do more. So he called in his chaplains and said, hey, we need to plant churches. And so they had a goal to plant 100 churches. And um, I think it took them about six months, and they had planted like 70. And so God is doing something cool there. And so we, we would go back and forth, you know, go there, do trainings and, 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 and stuff. And God called us to go there. We started a ministry that's going to reach every single person in Paraguay. It's called, it's called All Paraguay, basically. And, and our goal is to reach every single person in the country with the gospel, make sure there's a discipleship group within walking distance of every person, a Bible in every home. And we're trying to map it so we can actually see where we are so we know where we're not. And so um, we're moving there to start a, a YWAM base that's gonna raise up young people to go and finish the all initiative in, in South America near the end of the So that's what we're doing. So we came to Albuquerque to say, uh, you know, to just visit with my family before we uh, moved to South America and we just got stuck. So a two month or two week, uh, two week trip turned into over three months now. And so, <laughs> so uh, so pray for us. I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life while I'm here. So it was nice. Alan's like, hey, you want to preach? I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, let's do it. Okay, if you guys got your Bibles, open them up, open your phone app. A um, couple years ago, I was here for like, a, we were here visiting my family for, for Christmas, and God's kind, God, I don't know, gave me this prophetic picture of what God is calling New Life City to. And um, we had a big snowstorm, and they shut me down, and Alan wouldn't let me preach the following weekend. So I said, uh, he gave me a choice. So I said, hey, I'm going to finish what we started a few years back. Is that all right? So I want to talk about becoming a, a Proverbs 31 Ecclesia. So what in the world does that mean? Does this thing work? I just hit the arrow? Not today, Satan. Which, this way? Oh, boom, shagalaga. There we go. Okay, so what in the world is an ecclesia? So the word in the Greek language for, uh, for churches, the word ecclesia. Did you know that the ecclesia in the Bible wasn't a, a building, a church that you went to uh, on, a Sunday, on a Sunday morning, right? So an ecclesia was actually a secular institution, and here's the, uh, here's the article of it on the Wikipedia. And so if you see that little, the little blue box kind of there on the top, that is the ecclesia. Now, what in the world was the ecclesia? It was a secular institution where if you had done two years of military service, you could be a member of the, of the ecclesia. The ecclesia's job was to keep the culture of the city accountable to act according to the, uh, the rules of Rome, basically. Right, And so when politicians were messing up, it was the ecclesia's job to keep them in order. When things weren't happening the way they were, should happen according to Rome in the city, it was the ecclesia's job to, uh, to, to make things right. So I said, man, show me this in the Bible. Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. He finds 12 people gets them filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's a move of God in Ephesus where the businesses that 
made their money by selling idols, they, they lost their business, right? I mean, man, wouldn't that be great in Albuquerque if drug dealers no longer had customers because there was a move of God where we found 12 people in Albuquerque that would say yes to being filled with the Holy Spirit and going out and being the ecclesia in the city? Can I get amen? But um, so Paul causes a move of God in Ephesus where the people who made money selling idols, they started basically an uproar and a riot. And so they grabbed Paul and guess where they took him? Right into the ecclesia. Why? Because Paul was making an impact in the culture in Ephesus where it was messing with their way of doing life. And the way they're going to deal with that is in the ecclesia. So it says in Acts 19, it says, if anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly, in a legal ecclesia, right? So when Jesus talked about what he's going to build on this earth, I think it's really interesting that he didn't say, I'm going to build my synagogue, right? What did he say he was going to build? He said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. Now, the people that are around him knew what he was talking about. He was referring to that thing in the city that was responsible to keep the culture and the city accountable to the ways of Rome. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, he's telling us the purpose of the church. Now, if you read Matthew 16, he tells you the job of the ecclesia in the city. He says, I'm going to build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says, he says, the job, this is one of the only times where Jesus tells you the purpose of the ecclesia, the purpose of the church. He says, whatever you bind will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed in heaven. So he's saying that the, the church, he's going to build a church that will say, I'm going to take responsibility for the culture in my city and my neighborhood. And, and, and I, I'm going to take responsibility. And my wife said it today, I'm going to take responsibility to gather and govern. Because wherever two or three people are, are gathered together, Jesus is there in the midst. And he says, whatever you pray for, I'll hear it and I'll answer Right, So he's going to build his church in neighborhoods all over Albuquerque who are going to gather and then govern from their house. And they're going to take responsibility for what's happening in their neighborhood. And I think, I think God is calling New Life City to say, man, I am going to begin to bind and loose. I'm going to govern in my neighborhood because that's the purpose of the church. So my, 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 um, my biggest fear in this season, not biggest fear, I mean, forgive me for saying that, that's not what I actually mean. Hear me out, right? My concern during this season is that the church has raised up consumers where you go to church to be fed and you found out that you can watch a live stream and then you can be involved in worship and you could be fed in the live stream and you could do it in your underwear at home and you don't even have to talk to anybody, right? And so, I mean, I, I, I get it. Like if you're concerned about COVID and the virus and you don't want to gather, I, I get it, I get it. Stay safe, be home. But if we're gonna realize that we are the ecclesia and we have a job in the city, we gotta gather together to not get fed, but to get trained and equipped so that we can go out and do the ministry God's calling us to do, right? And so, 
man, Acts 17, Paul nearly gets killed. And so he, he goes away and he's in Athens. He's waiting for his friends there. You know what it says happened? As he was waiting, he began to see the idols in his city and he was bothered by them. And so he started to go to the synagogue and he started to, 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 to talk to anyone in the marketplace who would listen to him about Jesus because as he waited, it started to get to him. So last, last weekend, as we're sitting in, in church, God began to speak to me because I'm in this waiting season. I wasn't planning on just being in Albuquerque waiting for things to open. I have no control about when I can leave and do the thing that I think God's calling me to do. So what am I gonna do now? And God began to speak to me. Every time I've come to prayer or worship, God speaks to me about the South Valley of Albuquerque. And, um, and I, started to, I started to say, God, what is your dream for the South Valley? And he began to put it in my heart to start to pray that there would be 20 families, 20 houses that would say yes to be in a house of peace in their neighborhood. That would be the ecclesia in their neighborhood where it wouldn't be about um, anything other than getting out there, taking responsibility for the culture in your neighborhood and saying, if it wouldn't exist in heaven, I don't want to exist in my neighborhood and begin to gather and to govern from your house or from your friend's house in your neighborhood. And so I'm wondering, we might be gone next week, we might be gone next month, we might be gone in six months, but if you're still here, would you hear the, the, the cry of God saying, I need ecclesias, I need houses in the South Valley that will say yes to what I wanna do in this area. Can anyone here, can anyone here say, yeah, I'm in for that? Man, I'm in for that. And I, all I could do is pray and run my mouth. But if you guys want to say yes to it, I wanna, in, I wanna encourage you to go here. This is allamerica.org slash app. So friends of mine in, um, in Kansas City are developing this app so that we can reach the all in America. So every single person will hear the gospel, every single home can know about Jesus. Every single home will have a Bible. And uh, it's free, which is great. So what you gotta do is you gotta go, go to All America, download the app, and then you add your address in there, and you say, yeah, uh, yes, I'm going to take responsibility for my neighborhood. And you get two things you could do. Pray and connect. So you say, okay, you choose the five neighbors around you or in which ne whichever neighborhood you wanna see reached, and you say, I'm gonna begin to pray for this house. And you adopt those houses in prayer. And then the next thing is you gotta go and connect with those families and we're gonna talk a little bit about what you can do here in a minute. But man, will anyone here say yes, I'm in for that? Yeah? Go down, let me know because man, I believe that God wants to do a move in this city that will transform Albuquerque and transform New Mexico and transform the world. Can I get an amen? All right, so let me ask you a question. Who is the bride of Christ? The church, right? Right? The bride is the ecclesia. So I started to think about this because which chapter in the Bible is like the chapter on being a great bride? Proverbs 31. And so I realized something. The picture of the Proverbs 31 woman is a prophetic picture of the destiny of the ecclesia in Albuquerque. So 
Let's look at it, a couple things that I think the, the, the church in Albuquerque, the ecclesia in Albuquerque should be known for. Verse, verse 20 of Proverbs 31, it says, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see this picture, I see a like, get in here, right? Op- open your arms to the poor. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about what he's gonna hold people responsible for when they stand before him. And he says, he says, this say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you, needed, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. The answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help you? He would tell you, whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. That tells me something. The king of the ecclesia, Jesus says, what matters to me is the poor and how you treat them is how you treat me. And so, man, I started to wonder about this. Now, in, in Hawaii, we, we were working with the poor, but God started to convict me of something. That word stranger, right? We lived in, I mean, we lived in Waikiki, but we lived in this little corner area in an alleyway with the number one dive bar in all of Honolulu next to it. I mean, they were running prostitutes and drugs and everything out of it. Eight feet from my doorstep was this, this bar, right? I mean, the, the, the people would pick fights with my neighbor. They'd be peeing on our wall. Our kids would come out and be like, what are you guys doing? You know? And um, I remember pulling in one night and uh, seeing some, some guys in the alleyway and saying, I wonder if those are strangers that I need to let in. You know, I got three little kids, you know, so I was like trying to keep them away from the strangers. You know? So I started to look at this in the Bible. Did you know that, that in the Bible it says, Pursue hospitality. I started to look. Did you know over and over again in the Bible, they would invite strangers into their house and have meals with them and let them sleep on the floor. So I started saying, man, we need, to, uh, we need to start letting strangers in. So the first one, we had, a, we had a, 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 a mom and her daughter come and stay with us for a week. And, uh, you know, they took my, 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 my baby son and put him uh, head first into a hamper and closed it. Said, okay, that didn't work out well. The next one, a husband and wife and their two kids. Let the strangers in. They lit a fire in our bathroom. <laughs> so then we said, well, there, we found out there was this, there was this kind of like a ministry group. It was, it was a husband and wife. They had four kids and um, two single guys. And I said, man, we can't have these kids staying on the street. We need to let them into our house. Now, our apartment was like a 600-square-foot apartment. We already had our five. So how many of you know there wasn't a whole lot of room, right? And so I'm like, but no, we need, to, we need to be letting the strangers in. So we said, hey, you guys can come and stay in our apartment with us. And uh, uh, it was definitely a challenge. All I'm trying to say is when you do this stuff, it's not necessarily sexy, we, we, worked, we worked with the homeless, and so we started doing movie nights for the homeless. We started doing Thanksgiving dinners with the homeless. And then we start to look around, and my kids got lice because one of the ladies that came to our house had lice. Right? I mean, 
it's not super sexy to have your kids with lice because you let the strangers in. But man, you know you're going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, how well did you treat the strangers? Because how you treated them is how you treated me. Yeah? So our landlords, like, uh, our landlords call me and said, hey, why is your water bill three times what it usually is? And uh, I said, oh, I don't know. Turns out one of, the, uh, one of the strangers that we let in when we would go to bed, he'd take an hour-long shower every single night. What are you doing, dude? Like, you don't do that, man. What's wrong with you? And so our, our, our landlord shut down my stranger's ministry. And, um, but uh, they're like, you can't have people in your house anymore, bro. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. But it, anyway, can I, can I share with you one more story of a guy we let in? Is that okay? I met this guy on the street. His name was Bucko. Bucko was, uh, he was in and out of prison for, for probably 15, 20 years. And um, got encountered Jesus in prison, gets out, is watching a preaching tape, and the guy on the preaching tape says, come to Hawaii. So he heard it from the Lord, I need to go to Hawaii. And so he, uh, <laughs> he came to Hawaii, he got himself a little place, and uh, I ran into him on the street, and I said, you're looking for a church? He said, yeah. I said, come on, you could be a part of us. He became a part of our family. Now, since Bucko was in and out of prison for 20 years, he lost his wife, he lost his kids. He hadn't, he hadn't seen his kids since they were little kids. And uh, Bucko's a conspiracy theorist, so he was like, stay off of the internet and off of uh, social media and whatnot because, you know, that's how the government follows you. And, um, and, but he's like, I need to be reconciled to my kids. And they might be on Facebook. So if I create a Facebook account, maybe... Uh, <laughs> maybe my kids will find me, find me and we can start this process. So he gets on Facebook. One night, we would, we, would, uh, we would bring like eight extra large pizzas to the homeless every Tuesday night. It was our way to meet the homeless on our city and begin to minister to them. Bucko comes up to me and says, man, I've been on Facebook for nine months. My kids haven't found me. I think I'm gonna get off of it. What should I do? I said, give me your phone. And so I said, what's your, what's your oldest son's name? Told me, typed it in. I said, here, hit this button. It was an ad friend. And so Buckle goes, oh, I said, ready? Three, two, one, push the button. Right, because that's what you do when you're family. Right, you call people to things even if it's difficult. I said, push the button. He, so he pushes the button. I said, what's your other kid's name? He pushed the button, ad friend. I said, who's this lady? He goes, oh, that lady was a family friend of ours. She would come find me in like the crack houses and help me get cleaned up for years. I said, here, hit this button. Add friend. That night, his family friend called him. They talked for an hour. I think it was the next day his son called him and they talked, they talked for an over an hour. Then his son connected him with their other son and his other son came to Hawaii, was reconciled to his dad just this week. I got a picture sent to me and said, hey, look, he went and found all three, three of his sons. He, he, he went back to Washington so he can reconnect with them, had pictures with his grandkids, all that stuff. Because, yeah, because man, when you're a part of the family, you call people. You call people to greater things because that's what the family does. Even if they're poor, you run into them on the street, they got a background of who knows what. Man, 
you let him in to a part of your family, Jesus is going to say, man, you treated him well. You, when you treated him well, you treated me well. And they matter. They matter to Jesus, right? Um, I'll just blast through this real quick. Sodom and Gomorrah, I thought, I thought, I thought fire fell on Sodom and Gomorrah because of, of the sexual immorality in the city. But you know what I realized? The fire fell on Sodom and Gomorrah because look, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned, and it didn't help the poor and the needy. Woo! It's important. God says it's important how your church treats the poor. Galatians 2. Paul had, had spent 14 years praying about this revelation of how he's going to minister to the Gentiles. And so he went to like Peter and, and the other guys and said, hey, this is the gospel that I preach. Is that okay with you guys? And they, they said, yeah, but there's one thing that we want to make sure that you don't neglect. So you go preach that gospel that God showed you. But listen, there's one thing we don't want you to leave out. It was that important to the apostles the early church, to say, look, this is what you cannot leave out. Remember the poor. Right? Man, the poor are important to Jesus. So as an ecclesia, we got to say, how can we help the poor in the city? Yeah. Proverbs 31, 16. So it says she, so she in this prophetic picture that I'm talking about is the ecclesia, it's the bride, Right? She considers a field and buys it, and out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. So there's a, there's a church in Ohio. The pastor was bothered because in the recession that happened, all of a sudden, they weren't able to, to give to their missionaries anymore. And so missionaries were having to leave the field because they couldn't support them anymore. And so it bothered this pastor. And so he said, I wonder if there's something that we can do so that our missionaries don't lose their support ever again. So there was this Harvard MBA guy that was a member of his church, so he called him and he says, hey, is there any way that we could start businesses and the profit from the business will go to funding, funding missions? And he said, yes. Now, when it says she considers her fields and buys it, that means that there's businesses out there that... God may be saying, look, I want you to purchase this business and take the profits to fund what God is going to do through the church in missions, evangelism, in reaching out to the city, right? And it says, out of her earnings, so there was something set aside so that the church could get in and impact the marketplace, right? So what if, what if there was more than just a coffee shop in the church, what if there was businessmen that you've been sitting in the seats for years and years and you realize that God has said, look, I've called you to be an entrepreneur and the profit from the businesses that you're gonna start is what's gonna fund missions happening through New Life City. I think it's a prophetic picture of what God is calling this church to do. So this isn't something that Pastor Allen and Gail are gonna do. You, you get that, right? It's gotta be one of you that have been anointed by God to start businesses, run businesses, get them profitable, and then use the profit to move and have impact in the city. Verse 23 of Proverbs 31, it says, her husband, so who is the her? The her in this is a picture of the church, the bride. So who's the, the bride of? Jesus. 
So it says, Jesus is respected at the city gate. Now, the city gate is how they talk about government, right? Government happens at the city gates. So what would have to happen through New Life City to have Jesus be respected in, in city hall? Right, where, where the government would look at the, look at the ecclesia in Albuquerque and say, man, they showed us the love of Jesus. We respect Jesus so much. We need that church in our city. So instead of being the people that are just causing problems all the time, yelling at people, we become an asset to the government. What would that look like? So one of my friends uh, in Kansas City, he, uh, he had a small church and he was driving down the road one day and the, 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 um, the medians on the street, the, the weeds were growing real big. And he says, man, someone needs to get some weed whackers and chop these weeds down. And he hears God speak to him and says, hello, somebody. So they had a, they had a little small church, but you know what they did? Uh, they went and bought some weed whackers and they went out to their city and started to weed whack the weeds in the city. Right? Then there was this abandoned pool. It was like kind of like a center of the community, but it, it had been abandoned and it had been a place where all this kind of bad stuff was happening. So man, he says, man, someone should buy that pool and refurbish it so the kids could have something to do in this neighborhood. What do you think God said to him? Hello, somebody. Church went and bought a pool, right? He was, he was driving by, a, they have these um, pay-by-the-week motels in Kansas City, you know, where, where the poor go to stay and some other sketchy stuff happens. A, a school bus pulls up. Kids run out from the pay-by-the-week motel and jump on the school bus. He says, something needs to happen. We need to get housing for these, for these working poor so that they don't have to stay in these stay-by-the-week motels. What do you think God spoke to him? Hello, somebody. <laughs> Man, so I was... I, when, when we were living in Kansas City, the mayor of his city called this pastor and said, hey, there's this church in our city. It has a big 60-foot metal cross. They sold that property, and so the cross is just going to come falling down in my community, and that just bothers me. I don't want that to happen in my community where a big cross just falls to the ground. Would you go make an offer to buy that cross? Do you think that pastor needed a 60-foot metal cross in his parking lot? No, but who did it matter to? It mattered enough to his mayor where he says it matters to him, it matters to me. So he went and made an offer to buy the cross. Why? Because the people in government matter to Jesus. Right? And so remember this. Whenever you would point your finger and say, someone else needs to do this, remember there's three more pointing right back at you saying, no, that's your responsibility. You do something about it. And if we begin to serve our community, when we very first started our church in, in, in Waikiki, it was like me and my wife and like maybe one other crazy homeless person. I don't even know. We were really small. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm gonna do this. So I went to the, our city council member and I said, what do you need help with, man? How can I serve you? Like what matters to you? I, wanna, I, wanna, I want our church to, to do something. Whatever matters to you, we're gonna help. He says, I really need people that do this thing. And I said, yeah, we'll be there. So we showed up. He called me again and said, hey, man, we could really use some help with this. So, so, uh, so we showed up. 
my, uh, my mother-in-law happened to run into this politician and she said, oh, my, my son lives in your district. He goes, oh, who's your son? She said, oh, his name's RK. He goes, I love that church. That church is awesome. He didn't know it was like three people, people and a homeless person in a park because, because Jesus had been, I mean, Jesus was beginning to be respected in the government because there was a church that came and said, we want to help you. What matters to you matters to us. Joseph in the Bible got, got influence and authority over a nation because he served, he served the king in that nation. That king said, you, you should do something about this. It says, when it snows, she has no fear for her household. I just think this is, this is an amazing picture. Because it says that the Proverbs 31 woman, she looks into the future and says, man, some bad stuff could happen that could potentially hurt my people. I'm not going to be worried about it because we're going to do something. And so when everyone else around them is full of fear because it's snowed and people are going to freeze to death, her people are clothed. Man, that's a prophetic picture for now. Do you know the Bible says that there's one thing that people who don't know Jesus will ask you about? Do you know what that one thing is? It says, always be prepared to give people a reason why you have so much hope. There's one thing that followers of Jesus should be known for is when they walk in the room, they're the most hope-filled people in the room. And it's gonna be so weird to people who don't know Jesus, they're gonna come up to you and say, why are you like that? Right? Why do you have hope? Now, what I think is interesting about this verse is it doesn't say that she just denied that there was a problem. So she did something to prepare her people for the problem so that they could have hope in the midst of the problem. Right? There's something going on right now that's messing, that's messing with the world. And I want to say, don't let the enemy steal your hope. Don't let the enemy put fear in you because there's one thing that you should be known for that the devil's trying to stop and that's hope because he knows how powerful hope is. The Bible says, for the hope set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So Jesus going through a terrible, very bad day says, the one thing that's gonna pull me through this is hope. And I'm telling you, if there's any word that the church should be shouting from the mountaintops right now is we have hope in the midst of this season. We have no fear in this season. We have hope in this season where we're not just gonna deny that there's snow on the ground, but we say, look, we've, we've done something about it. We're good. We can have hope in this season. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. So I, I begin to ask myself, what, is, uh, what does it say in, in the, in the New, New Testament is the picture of the bride? In Revelation 21, it says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And he carried me away in spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, right, which is the bride. The, the Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, and it shone with the glory of God. So the ecclesia in Albuquerque should be shining. Should be shining. Now it says, it says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before men so much so that they see your good works and they praise your Father in heaven. So what was Jesus known for? It says that Jesus went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the enemy. So the way Jesus went around doing good was he said, man, 
you got a problem, God can do something about it. Man, the, I remember the, the very first, I mean, miracle that I saw, I walked up to a couple of my friends were praying for this kid. He was sitting on the ground. I said, what's wrong with him? They said, oh, he can't walk. I said, well, he's not gonna get healed sitting on the ground, stand him up. And uh, so I picked him up and I was holding him by his elbows and I said, listen, Jesus paid a price for you to be healed and I'm gonna let go of you. Not totally sure what's gonna happen, but God's gonna heal you. And uh, I let go of his arms and uh, he landed on the ground and ran off completely healed to his mom. And I was like, that was awesome. Uh, sign me up for that, <laughs> right? Man, um, I, w- I went to India and, uh, and I prayed for this little girl. She was four years old. She had a uh, withered hand. And I prayed for her and I prayed for her, prayed for her. Nothing happened. Man, I went back that night to the place we were staying and I was depressed. I was discouraged. I said, man, it's not that little girl's fault that she's like that. Right? There's no devil in hell big enough to stop the name of Jesus. So I just assumed that the reason the little girl didn't get healed was because of me. So I obviously don't have a gift of healing, so I'm not gonna pray for the sick anymore, ever. And um, I moped around for days and days, right? All, all depressed and discouraged. Because listen, when you start to try to do this stuff, you have to learn how to deal with discouragement. Okay? I mean, so... One of the guys that I was traveling with this, he noticed that I was kind of down and depressed and he goes, what's wrong with you? So I told him the story of how the little girl didn't get healed. He said, you know what? He said, it's not your job when they get healed. He says, it's not your fault when they get healed. It's not your fault when they don't get healed. He said, it's your job to do the praying. It's God's job to do the healing. I said, oh yeah, <laughs> right? It broke that thing right off of me. So the very last night in India, and we were doing big, I mean, big same event. So we had like a big, you know, thousands of people in a field or whatever. And we would start to pray for the sick afterwards. And um, at nine o'clock, the police would blow their whistle and they start coming down the fence to, uh, to kick people out. Now, crowd control in India, they do a little bit different than they do in the United States of America, right? Uh, if you're an old lady or a little kid, it didn't matter. You're gonna get beat with the stick until you leave. And, um, and so the police blow their whistle and they're coming down the fence. They're, they're about where those paintings were. And these guys bring up their friend to me He's got two withered hands. And I'm looking at the guy and uh, I'm thinking, God, I couldn't get one little girl healed earlier this trip who had one withered hand. This guy's got two and I don't even have time to pray, right? And then I remembered something. It's not your job to, to heal the guy. It's your, guy, your job to pray for him. God will do his job. So I put my hand on the guy's head and I said, uh, uh, God, I don't have time to pray, so just do whatever you gotta do right now in Jesus' name. And I watch as the guy's hands just just popped out completely. I'm like, whoa. I said, what couldn't he do? He said, oh, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't squeeze things. I stuck on my fingers to squeeze my fingers. So he squeezed my fingers. I said, now get out of here before you get beat up by the police, right? So I realized something. In Mark 16, it says, you will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. Did you know it's literally impossible to lay your hands on someone for something to not happen? Because if something doesn't happen, that means that Jesus is a liar. And I just, I think we can trust Jesus to keep his word. So you might not see it happen right in front of you, but guess what God does? He keeps his word. Right? So I remember we were, we were in New Zealand, and uh, this mom, she brought me her son, and he, was, he had a degenerative eye thing. He was going blind. And I prayed for him, I prayed for him, prayed for him. Nothing happened. So you know what I did? I, did, I went to the next person and prayed for them. 
right? I did my part, now it's kind of God's time to do his part, right? About, I don't know, a month later, this lady comes up to me and says, hey, do you remember me? I said, no, I don't remember you. She says, uh, you were praying for, for my son. He was going blind. We think he's healed. I said, oh, that's cool, you know. A week later, she came and found me again, and she says, hey, today my son and my husband, they were flying over to Australia, and I said, son, you want your glasses? He goes, no, mom, I'm healed. I was like, that's cool. A couple months later, I get a call from a friend of mine and said, hey, remember that kid who was going blind who got healed in New Zealand? I said, yeah. I said, he went to the doctor, and when the doctor saw the miracle, the doctor gave his life to Jesus. I said, man, that's cool. <laughs> so, but let me ask you a question. If the mom wouldn't have went out of her way to come and find me and tell me what happened, if the guy, my friend, wouldn't have gone out of her way to call me and tell me what happened, what do you think I would still think happened? Nothing. What actually happened? Jesus kept his word. We can trust Jesus because if there's one thing that the church should be known for is doing good in the city by going out there and demonstrating the power of God, the glory of God through miracles, signs, and wonders. So healing is not just for inside the church. It's for out there in the streets. It's for inside the Walmarts, in the marketplace, right? There's the ecclesia in these neighborhoods in the South Valley should be known for. If you go to that house, you can be healed by the, uh, by, by the name of Jesus, right? If, if you call those guys, they'll come over any time of the day. They'll pray for you and God will do miracles in your life. Yeah, can I get an Amen. I think, um, I think if we're going to see this thing happen in Albuquerque, I think we need to grow some cojones. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Forgive me, Alan, if, if I'm not allowed to say that. But, um, but uh, I think we need to start it. <laughs> Ask me later, Brad. I'll explain it to you. <laughs> so I think we need to, to begin to take risks. And um, offer to pray for people. Ask them if they need miracles. If God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? Where we could begin to get out there in the restaurants, in the stores, in the streets, your next door neighbors say, man, if God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be? And we, we begin to invite the presence and the power of God to come into these houses and we'll see the presence of God move and, and transform cities. One of my... One of my friends, he's a, he's a pastor in Hawaii. He's also an architect. He happened to be in Tahiti on a, doing a, a, a job. And he heard that the president of Tahiti had been trying for, for years to develop this roadway system to go around Tahiti, but nothing they were doing would work. So my friend said, God, give me a design for a roadway system that would work. God gave him a vision. He drew it out. He took it to the president and he said, hey, try this. When he got back to Hawaii, the president called him and said, how did you get that? He said, God gave me a vision. The president says, I need to give my life to Jesus. So they went back, they baptized the president, they got him baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so, man, the miracles aren't just for bodies. There's, there's sicknesses in your communities that are just waiting for you to come in and say, the church is gonna be known for shining with the goodness and the glory of God. And so God has a solution to your problem in your neighborhood and I can help you with it. That's what God is calling us to do. That's what God is calling us to do. Can I get an amen? amen. Can, you, can we stand? It, it, 
if you're, if you're in, say, man, I'm in. I, w- I want to be a Proverbs 31 Ecclesia member in Albuquerque. Would you put your heart on your, on your chest? I want to pray for you. We're going to do communion in a minute, and I think, uh, I think God's going to do something special, but Father, everyone who's got their hand on their chest, may you put a seal on them, and when you give them eyes to see in their neighborhoods this week the things that they can pray to see your presence and your glory come into. God, give them a heart to not just be a place that just uh, is internal. Give them a heart to be outgoers that we would see this consumerism broken off of the, the body where it's just about going to church to be fed, but you would put something in us to say, man, I'm gonna go make a difference in my, in my neighborhood. So fill them with your spirit. May they not leave here the same, but they leave here with the vision to see your kingdom come in their, in their city, in their neighborhood, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you guys will grab your communion. Think about this. The Son of God, God of the universe, said, I'm going to take up the flesh of a man so I can show the world how good the Father is. And I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to sacrifice my body, give my body so that they can have life. So as you, as you eat this bread, may you say, man, I'm going to be the body of Jesus. I'm going to show the world how good God is, just like Jesus did. So his body broken for you. Take it in remembrance of Jesus. And his blood, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins to so undo what sin has done in the world. He's saying, I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to send them out to speak forgiveness to the world. Say, the sin isn't held against you. You can be free. So as you drink this, remember God's forgiveness for your life so that you can go and speak forgiveness over others in Jesus' name.